I want to invite you to take a copy of God's Word and turn with me to the book of Psalm, the 119th Psalm, and we're going to be reading today uh, in, from verses 121 down through 128, eight verses of Scripture, and in those eight verses of Scripture, we see a word in reference to God's Word mentioned no less than six times, and uh, what a blessing it is. And on Mother's Day, uh, we preached from another part of Psalm 119, and as we did, we preached about um, women of the Word and about how God wants to take our moms and takes our, take our ladies and our young ladies and give them uh, just a wonderful appetite and hunger for His Word to grow uh, all of our ladies through the Word. And likewise, on Father's Day, we want to consider what it means to be a men of His Word. And so, happy Father's Day to all of you fellas out there. I hope that you will uh, put your seatbelt on and uh, just walk with me line by line as we look at uh, Psalm 121 through uh, Psalm 119, verses 121 through 128, as we consider today men of the Word. Six times eight verses the word precept, testimonies, law. Um, commandments, those type of words referring to the word of the Lord are used. They're used um, by this psalmist to point about uh, to a life that is surrendered to the Lord and that is growing uh, closer with the Lord and uh, that that servant is growing according to God's word. I am thankful that God has this uncanny way of not only saving us, but growing us. And so I want you to listen to the, to the heart of this psalmist as he is being used by the Holy Spirit of the Lord uh, to pin these words. Beginning in verse 121, the psalmist writes, I have done what is just and right. Do not leave me to my oppressors. Give your servant a pledge of good. Let not the insolent oppress me. My eyes long for your salvation, for the fulfillment of your righteous promise. Deal with your servant according to your steadfast love, and teach me your statutes. I am your servant. Give me understanding that I may know your testimonies. It is time for the Lord to act, for your law has been broken. Therefore, I love your commandments above gold, above fine gold. Therefore, I consider all your precepts to be right. I hate every false way. I consider, listen to the psalmist, I consider all, all your precepts to be right. And I hate every false way. The gospel that saves a person from their sin is a transformational act of God. What does that mean? It means that Jesus not only forgives us of our sin and restores us to a right relationship with God the Father, but it also means that Jesus loves us too much to leave us in the same condition. That through the work of the Holy Spirit and the word of God, Jesus continually changes us for our good and his glory. Jesus came to earth to reconcile you and I as sinful human beings to a holy and righteous God. And the only way for that reconciliation to occur, the only way for that restoration and relationship to be made right there had to be a sacrifice, a perfect sacrifice, a sacrifice that would be greater than any Old Testament sacrifice, a sacrifice that could appease God 
and that could atone for our sin and a sacrifice that would extinguish or take the wrath of God upon them. And so we know that the Bible says that Jesus came. Uh, he who knew no sin, he came and he became sin for us so that we would not have to endure or experience the wrath of God, but Jesus as our perfect righteous substitute took God's wrath and anger and hostility upon him at the cross of Christ. And so I'm thankful today that Jesus forgives us of all of our past sin and all of our present sin. If you are grateful to God for that this morning, would you affirm that by saying amen? Amen. amen. But I, I want you to understand there's a, there's a next part of that, and it's the idea that as Jesus saved us, he's continually saving us. He's transforming us. He doesn't want to leave us the same. It doesn't mean that we go from being this person who is dead in their trespasses and sin all of a sudden to be alive and perfect without sin. It means we go from being a dead individual who would not come to God, who would not seek God. It means that we uh, come to the Lord, right? Jesus forgives us of our sin and we come to him, but yet there's this maturation process that is occurring. We're perfect in our position, right? We're in Christ, under Christ, so we're received by God the Father because of what Jesus has done, but yet in our practice, we still drop the ball and we still sin. How many of you today, this week, sometime have sinned? Will every hand in the place please go up? Uh, if you say, no, I, I don't sin, you know that's just not true. We, we all sin. So how is it that we can be justified in our position, but yet not in our practice? And the reason being is because this transformational work that Jesus does in us is a work that is ongoing. It is this uh, work of sanctification that ultimately leads to glorification. I want you to listen to just a few proof texts to lay the foundation of what we're going to be understanding and reading in Psalm 121 down through 128. Listen to Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. Paul said to those believers at Rome, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Watch these words. A living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And then this admonition. Do not be conformed to this world, but be ye, be ye transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by the testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Ezekiel 36, the Lord through the prophet Ezekiel said, And I will give you a new heart. I will give you a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh. And I will give you a heart of flesh. Paul in 2 Corinthians in 3.18 says, And we all with unveiled face, unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. And then in 1 John chapter 3, verses 2 and 3, John says, Beloved, we are God's children now. And watch this phrase. And what we will be has not yet appeared. What does that mean? It means he's changing us from one degree of glory to another degree of glory. He goes on and he says, But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him 
purifies himself as he is pure. Everybody talks about change. I believe the world wants to change. I think that the world just doesn't want to change the way that God wants to change us, the way that God wants to work in us. If you Google search uh, song lyrics and movies, uh, stories, books about change and about life cycle and about uh, just change that occurs in people's lives that people long for, it's just littered with all sorts of different, whether it's literatures or songs or movies that talk about a person's desire to be changed. Christina Aguilera wrote a song, or she sang this song. I don't think she wrote it. And the lyrics just say, When I was young, I would look in the mirror, didn't know it then, but now it couldn't be clearer, that I remember being filled with such wonder before learning that the world can be so much harsher. Who you love or the color of your skin or the place that you were born and grew up in shouldn't decide how you will be treated because we're all the same if everyone's breathing. And then she breaks into this chorus. I'm waiting for a change to set us free. Waiting for the day when you can be you and I can be me. Waiting for hope to come around. Waiting for the day when hate is lost and love is found. Waiting for a change. Waiting for a change. Yes, I'm waiting for a change. The world cries out for a change. They just don't want to be changed the way that God wants to change us. The greatest theologian that's ever lived, Rocky Balboa, said, if I can change and you can change, everybody can change. Do you remember that? I think that's Rocky Four, maybe. And he's defeated the Russian and he's speaking to all those people there in Moscow. And he just simply says, if I can change, you can change. Everybody can change. I'm glad Rocky is a boxer and not a theologian because that's only true if Jesus is the change agent. And if Jesus is this change agent, there is this wonderful work of transformation that he does in us. And I've said all that to say this transformation occurs according to God's word. Transformational change only comes through Jesus and it is evidence that Jesus is alive and at work in us. Therefore, godly gospel men are men of the word. We need God and his word to not only point us to Jesus so we can properly understand who Jesus is and what he's done, but we need Jesus to anchor us and transform us by his word. Aren't you glad that we were not only saved from our past sins, but we're being saved from our current sins. And there's coming a day when we will sin no more because we will be glorified and we will be like our Savior. If you're thankful for that, say amen. And so don't let, don't let the enemy pigeonhole you. Don't let the devil make you think less of yourself than who you are, not in your flesh, but who you are in Christ. And so if you're ready to unpack these verses, say amen. All right, men of the word, number one, live justly and they pursue God's love. Men of the word live justly and they pursue God's love. He says in verse 121 and then in verse 124, uh, the psalmist says, I have done what is just and right. 
He's making his case before the Lord. Do not leave me to my oppressors. Deal with your servant according to your steadfast love and teach me, he says, and teach me your statutes. You see the, the word of God there. Men of the word live justly and pursue God's love. What does that mean? It means that we address social injustice, any kind of injustice, through the gospel. We do not deal with injustice. We do not deal with horrible things apart from the gospel. If I seek to correct an injustice and I seek to do that according to my flesh, I could correct that in a wrong way. But if I'm anchored and I'm tied to God's word and I'm I'm looking at that situation the way God would look at that situation. Now I can speak to a wrong that's happening, whether that's happening in society or happening in the church or happening wherever it happens to be happening. And we can look at that and view that the way God would have us to view it. And then so we could appropriate the right measures in addressing that particular injustice. Man, I want to say to you, if you are going to be a man of the word, you're going to be God's man for his hour in this particular generation at this point in your life, whether you're a senior adult or a middle-aged man or a younger man, I want to say to you, you cannot just look at those things that are um, wrong with America, wrong with society, wrong with the church, and be passive and have no position upon that. If you are a believer, God calls us to take a stand for those things that are wrong. And as we do that, we do that with a real prayerful attitude. A real prayerful attitude. I want you to notice what this psalmist is praying for. First of all, he's praying for that and asking God to protect him from his oppressors. In verse 121 and 122, he's saying, you protect me. I've done what is just and right. Do not leave me. Do not leave me to your oppressors. And then notice what he says, 122, give your servant a pledge of good. Let not the insolent oppress me. What are those or who were those people who were the oppressors? Oppressors were intimidators or bullies or persecutors, arrogant opponents who were demanding their rights. And the psalmist was saying, listen, as I am confronted, Lord, with these people, I pray that you would know that I'm acting justly and that I'm trying to do what you have called me to do. And so what he's saying to the Lord is, he's saying, protect us from those oppressors. My brothers and sisters, if we are going to be men of the word who live justly, we will be praying men. We will be men who are in the word, and we will be men who recognize our own limitations, and we will be men who are giving whatever that injustice is, we'll be giving it to the Lord and saying, God, do not let those who seek to oppress, have favor and victory. But God, use me to live justly and then not only live justly, but to pursue God's love. He wanted to remind himself over and over again to trust the Lord to fulfill his promise of salvation. Look at verse 123 and notice what he says. He says, my eyes long for your salvation, for the fulfillment of your righteous promise. He was praying and asking God to fulfill this promise of salvation. We should long for and pray for the salvation of the Lord in its completeness to be fulfilled in us. Not just past, not just present, but 
all of our future sin, that God would save us from all of that and that he would not only restore us to a right relationship, but that he would glorify us. This psalmist was looking forward to the day that the Lord's kingdom was ruling and reigning and there was no oppression, there was no injustice, that God was blessing his people and his people were willingly serving him and rejoicing in him. Oh, my brothers and sisters, how important it is that we long for, like the psalmist, the complete salvation of the Lord. How many of you believe that God has a plan for you? Now watch this. Not just for the 10, 20, 50, 80 years, 100 years you're here on earth, but how many of you believe that God knows you and he has a plan for you for all eternity? How many of you believe that? Man, I do. Absolutely, I believe that. And here's why that is so important today. My brothers and sisters, if this is just something of, a philosophy that we're embracing for this time that's going to help us be a little bit better than what we would be apart from the gospel or apart from being a Christian or apart from Christianity, I would tell you I would want no part of that. But this salvation that the psalmist was speaking of, it was this total vindication over his sinful nature. It was total victory from all those things that made him less than what God would have him to be. It was placing full trust in the Lord's promise, not just for now, but for all eternity. Oh, my brothers and sisters, Christ and the Lord and his kingdom is far, far greater than just what we're going to experience in the here and now. If you would have believed that to be true, say amen. So for all of you LeBron fans who are just absolutely excited that he's going to be teamed up with Anthony Davis, I've got good news for you. They're still going to struggle sometime or another, and that's not the greatest plan that God has for their life. God has this plan for those men for all eternity. If they could only tap into it and know the wonderful freedom that comes with Christ and the gospel. And so this psalmist is asking the Lord to protect him from his, from his oppressors. He's asking the Lord to uh, be true to his promise of salvation in its entirety. And then look at verse 124. As he was considering living justly and pursuing God's love, he was asking God to show him the depths of his love according to his word. Deal with your servant. Deal with your servant according to your steadfast love. And he said, teach me your statutes. What a prayer to pray. A matter of fact, if there's one thing that you take away from this message, I hope that you'll take this away. Because it's a sub-point, just circle verse 124 and say, if there's one thing I take away, it's this. That God would deal with me, and I make this my prayer, according to his steadfast love, and that the Lord would teach me his word. Oh, my brothers and sisters, if we could begin to understand the depths of God's love in the person of Christ, if we would stop buying in and believing a lie and thinking about ourselves, what the world wants to think about us or what our fallen nature continually is trying to remind us of, and if we would begin to recognize, wait a minute, that's my old nature. That's my old person. I have this new life 
that is in Christ, that Christ has granted me. I have this new position. And this new position is not a position that's based on works. It's not based on how good you do or how good I do. This is a love relationship based on the depths of God's love. How we need to make that our prayer. If we are going to live justly and we're going to pursue and desire the love of the Lord, oh God, deal with your servants according to your steadfast love and teach me your statutes. To every man in this place today, for every young boy, every teenager who's becoming a young man, I want you to hear your pastor today and hear me loud and clear. Everything that your nature wants to pursue in this world and make a substitute for Christ is always going to fall short. doesn't matter what it is that you're pursuing. There's only one that will fill the void of your heart and your life. There's only one that's going to make you respond to God's love in an appropriate way. There's only one who's going to make you love your wife appropriately, to love your children appropriately, to make you... Uh, live justly and pursue the love of God. And that one is Jesus. Preacher, I tried Jesus. I tried Jesus at 10 when I was in VBS. And I just went on to live a life of sin and disobedience. And I did not know the favor of God. And so my whole teenage years and young adult life, I just, I know that I was saved, but I just didn't live for the Lord. And now I'm in my 30s and I've been through one wife and I'm on my second wife and that marriage is not going good and I'm just thinking to myself, uh, yeah, I'm supposed to be saved, but yet there's nothing in my life that looks like that it is saved. I want you to hear why that is. It's because you are not saved. When you are saved, God's at work in you and he's transforming you and he's changing you. And he doesn't care what he has to do to keep you in lostness. It can be full-blown rebellion. It can be drugs. It can be alcohol. It can be pride. It can be wealth. Or it can be religion. The enemy does not care what he uses to keep you blinded to the wonder and glory and splendor and the amazing Jesus. If you say, did I really not experience Jesus? You've not experienced the Jesus of the scriptures. Preacher, has Jesus ever let you down? I want you to hear this. I've let myself down. Tracy's let me down. The boys have let me down. Y'all in some form or fashion, sometime or another, have let me down. Just as I've let all of you down. But can I say to you, there is one. Hello? There is one who has never, ever let us down, and his name is Jesus. He has this ability to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us and to start a new work in us and to draw us to himself and to help us realize that this is a work in perpetuity, meaning what? That God is just at work changing us, changing us, changing us, and he does it through his word. Why does he do that? So that we might live justly and begin to pursue God's love in an appropriate way. But here's the second thing. Men of the word not only live justly and pursue God's love. Men of the word seek understanding. Understanding of God's word and they ask God to act. Listen to the psalmist 125. I am your servant. Give me understanding that I may know your testimonies. 
It is time for the Lord to act, for your law has been broken. He's continuing in this idea that he's a servant. He's growing. He's seeking the Lord. He's looking for vindication or favor over his oppressors. And he comes to this place where he just says in verse 125, he just continues to beseech the Lord and ask the Lord to teach him his word. Well, there's, here's three ways that I want to encourage you men. Will you write these down today? When you start picking up God's word to understand it, you're asking God to, to speak. Spend enough time in God's word and in resources to dig deep to understand the historical context. And ask God this question. God, what were you saying to the psalmist and to Israel? What were you saying at the time that you originally penned this particular paragraph, this particular text? You just can't do that by a five-minute casual reading. You're not going to understand what was God's intent when he was writing through the pen of this psalmist. So you ask the Lord, Lord, historically, what were you saying to this psalmist and to your people? And then you say, Lord, what are you saying about your future context? God, how will this passage unfold in your eternal kingdom? What are you trying to say about your eternal rule, about your goodness and your greatness for all eternity? And so as you're reading God's word, you're not just reading some words and hoping that God says something, but you're seeking to understand what did it mean, what will it mean, and then here's where we camp, right? The immediate context. God, what gospel implications does this passage have for me now? How do I yield to and apply this word today? We ask the Lord to teach us his word. We not only want to learn in an academic type of sense, God, what are you saying to me today? What did you say? What are you going to be saying? But we're also asking the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, illuminate this word to my heart. Shine upon it. Help me to see. Help me to take away what it is that you have for me. And so our men's ministry has provided Bibles, study Bibles, much like I, I think they're the same Bibles that the ladies gave away, are they, Miss Lori? Uh, and that the same type of Bibles that the ladies' ministry gave away on Mother's Day. You say, man, I like when you gave away a barbecue grill. Well, this is what a barbecue grill gets you right here, all right? This right here will change you for all eternity. You get in God's word and, and you get help so you understand that historical context, that future reference, the immediate context. And then you say, Holy Spirit, speak to me personally through your word. And so men of the word seek understanding. Listen to me. This idea of, of hungering and thirsting for God and his word, this is not a punch list. How many of you, you know quiet times come in and so you read it, you want to get it down. Maybe some of you have downloaded it on your apps and so you've got that Bible app that flips up and it says, here's your verse or here's your verses of the day. And man, you read it and say, thank you, Lord. And then you're off. And if I see you five minutes later and say, what was your verse for today? Wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. Right, you get it out and you start thumbing through it to go back to see what that verse of the day was. Preacher, is that bad? no. Anytime you give yourself to God's word, it's never bad. It's never bad. But listen to me. There's a better way. And that better way is to slow down and to make a conversation with Jesus the priority of your day and not an afterthought of your day. Are you tracking with me today? 
If you're tracking, not at me like this. If I named some of your most famous people, Grant, if you can meet one person, who would it be? Mickey Mantle? Some Yankee? Aaron Judge. Aaron Judge. He said he, if he could meet one person right now, he'd meet Aaron Judge. If I said, I got Aaron Judge coming to Glasgow tomorrow, would you talk to your dad and work some way out to where you could spend an hour with Aaron Judge? You absolutely would do that, wouldn't you? Uh, John, who would it be? Tiger Woods? <laughs> who would it be, John? Who? Is he an American? You don't even know, do you? <laughs> I'm just aggravated. He, so he, if you, uh, if all y'all are thinking, who's Justin Rose? He's a golfer, and he's a really good golfer. If I said tomorrow, Justin Rose is going to be in Glasgow, John, I know him, and, and he would love to give you an hour or two of his time, would you make time for that? You'd probably call in work sick, wouldn't you? And say, hey, I, I can't make it today. Would you do that, or I'm going to be an hour late? Might be a little late. Ricky, who would it be? Martin Luther? John, John Calvin. So if John Calvin uh, would come back from the dead and I could have him here tomorrow, would you make time for John Calvin? He'd take the day off. Listen, y'all know where I'm going. Why? When the voice of the Lord is waiting to speak, he doesn't speak through flashing lights and spinning Lord's Supper portraits on the wall. Right? That's the way some of us think, think he speaks. We get to looking at some Ten Commandments on the wall and waiting for the Lord to start spinning that thing around and the bush start burning. The Lord speaks through his word. If you believe it, say amen. So men of the word seek understanding. Men, man. Grab it, love it, give time to it. And then ask God to reveal his holy character and defend his name. Verse 126. So you're praying. You're praying for understanding and you're praying for God to act. Now watch this, guys. Man, this word just like pierced me this week. When we ask God to reveal his holy character, verse 126, listen to the psalmist. It is time for the Lord to act. That's pretty assumptuous, isn't it? I mean, the psalmist is saying, Lord, it is time for you to act, for your law has been broken. It's only presumptuous if the psalmist is acting, asking the Lord to act because he's the one that's been done wrong. The psalmist is acting, asking the Lord to act because it's the Lord who's been done wrong. And what he's asking is, Lord, we want you to defend your name. We want you to make your word to come to pass within hearts and lives and homes and communities and churches. God, we want you to be exalted and lifted up. And so the psalmist was asking God to reveal his holy character and to defend his own name. Why? Because his law had been broken and the oppressors were beginning to say, where is your God? Fellas, if any of you are ever tempted by an oppressor to think you can go to church all you want, 
You can read that Bible until you're blue in the face. You can pray all the imaginary prayers you want to pray. But I'm telling you, there is no God. And you can do that to make yourself feel better. But when you die, you're just going to be like the rest of us. All you're going to do is die. I just want to say to you, my dear brothers, there is absolutely no truth in that. That is the fatalistic outlook of humanistic, um, of, of just humanism. It's the idea that we are the greatest, grandest thing and we should do all that we possibly can while we have breath for ourselves because when we die, that's it. I want to say to you, when you feel oppressed and you feel like the world is pushing in, instead of saying, I'm going to vindicate myself, instead of saying, I'm going to defend my name, instead of saying, I'm going to make this right, look to the Lord Jesus and ask God to reveal his character and to defend his name. My brothers and sisters, I am perfectly aware that God does not need me. And the more you become aware that God does not need you, and so therefore he doesn't need you to defend his name, he's perfectly able to do that himself. You're going to find a peace and a contentment. You're going to find a joy and a confidence in knowing God is able every time that we are unable. You believe it, say amen. And then lastly, we'll close. Men of the word, seek understanding and ask God to act. Men of the word, live justly and pursue God's love. And lastly, men of the word, love the scriptures and they despise that which is untrue. Therefore, the last two verses, therefore, because you can defend your own name, because your character is true, because you have this ability to give us understanding, Listen to what he says. Therefore, I love your commandments. And he says, I love them above gold. I love them above fine gold. Therefore, I consider all your precepts to be right. And he says, I hate every false way. Men of the word love the scriptures, and they despise that which is untrue. There's two thoughts, fellas, that I want to leave you with today. Everyone here, whether you're a man or a woman, this truth certainly applies to, it's not gender specific here. We value God's word more than wealth. That's what he's saying in verse 127. We value God's word more than wealth. The psalmist just said, I love your commandments, your law, your word, your precepts, your principles, your promises. I love your commandments, your testimonies above gold. Above the finest gold. Guys, I want to encourage you to make that your prayer with me today. God, help me to treasure, to treasure this word. You and I have been raised in America, and I thank God we have this. But we substitute wealth for true wealth. And we should never make that tragic mistake. The greatest possession you have is not your home. It's not your golf club. 
It's not your make-believe raptor. We got a guy in our church that has a real raptor. And I saw him coming up the other day. And I met him. Are you here today? Uh, he is here today. And you saw what I did. Uh, and I was messing with him. This make-believe poor man's raptor. It's not, listen, it's not your wife or your husband or your children or your parents. The greatest possession we possibly have is the Word of God. Pick it up, read it, study it, ask God to illuminate it, shine it, teach it to you, give you understanding. We value God's word. And we value it as the ultimate truth. Therefore we reject what is false. We just don't give ourselves to falsehood. which We won't when we are valuing the word of God the way God wants us to. And so men of the word love the scriptures and despise that which is untrue. Pastor, I don't know if I feel that way. I would just say to everyone here this morning, will you ask God to make you a person of his word, giving you a desire for gospel justice, giving you a love for God that is supreme, a love for his word. Will you ask the Lord to give you a teachable heart and mind that you might be a doer of what is just and what is right? So that when you stand before the Lord, he will say to you, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Well done. Will you stand to your feet today? How many of you will pray that prayer with me and say, I want God to teach me his word. I want to I desire him and love him appropriately. I want him to transform me according to his word. I want to be a doer. I want to be a doer of justice, of those things that are right because God is at work in me and it brings honor and glory to his name. How many of you will make that your prayer today? Just hold your hands high, men or women. Hold them high and let's pray that together this morning.